Welcome back to another episode of the Hooper's Almanac. This episode is part two of our fringe Western Conference contenders. We're going to welcome on one of our good friends from Mizzou, who's a big Dallas Mavericks fan. So talking all things Dallas on this episode, as you all know, we've branded ourselves as an anti-Luka Doncic podcast. So uh, excited to see how this one goes. We're also going to recap a big game this week between the Nets and the Sixers. Uh, Some bad blood on both sides there. Very interesting game that ended unexpectedly. So we're going to talk about that as well. Looking forward to today's episode. And before we get going... Let's bring in our friends from Green Top. We are back at the Hooper's Almanac recording here on Sunday, March 13th. Today's news has been in the basketball arena, but not on the NBA. So we're going to try to do our best here to uh, switch to the professional side of things as today was the March Madness bracket was announced, Mitch, some big college basketball. My Iowa Hawkeyes won the both the men's and women's uh, Big Ten tournaments, which is it's quite the day for me, uh, but excited to talk NBA nonetheless. How are you doing? And uh, have you been watching any NBA recently? Uh, I'm doing well. And yes, I have been watching. So I've been watching NBA and I watch college basketball. So at work, I have two monitors. Um, <laughs> so I, I have one monitor for work and I have my other monitor for my metrics at work. Then between my two monitors, I have my phone, which was just watching college basketball all week. So I had that on Sam, don't fire me for this. Um, so I was watching college basketball during the day and then I'd go home and watch NBA. So it's nice also to have the dual screen set up. I feel like I'm in college watch. So I'll watch a college basketball game on one and the NBA on the other. So I'm trying to keep up with everything. Um, my, for any college basketball fans, my sleeper, which isn't really a sleeper pick, but I love them. Vermont take Vermont first round. I like them a lot. Uh, they're going up against Arkansas. I really like Vermont to beat Arkansas in the first round. So that's my college basketball talk for now, but I watched a lot of basketball and I watched a lot of Mavericks basketball this week, just to kind of get ready for this podcast. Um, it is Sunday. We are watching, we're recording around like 6 30, 6 45 right now. Um, so the Celtics already lost to the Mavericks. And so we'll get into it with Jack a little later, but I really wish we didn't lose on KG retirement night. So that was, that was a big brutal kick to the crotch. You had texted me a few days ago, I think regarding the Pistons Celtics game, thinking it was KG retirement. Night. Did the, did the date get moved? No, I was wrong. It was the NBA 75 recognition night. Oh. And then the KG night was later. So it was so, the NBA 75 recognition night was Friday night against the Pistons. Then today was the KG recognition day, um, which Ray Allen and Paul Pierce, Ray Allen was there. I just, that's all that matters. Ray Allen was there and they gave a big hug and KG shouted him out in the middle of a speech. And I cried. I was so happy to see that happen. Thank you, Dallas Mavericks, for cashing my plus 1,000 uh, same game parlay. Appreciate it. But we're not going to talk about the Celtics anymore until Jack comes on here in a bit right. to talk about the Mavericks. One thing we did want to note is Greg Popovich, the greatest yeah. coach of all time, arguably. Now the winningest coach of all time, inarguably. More wins than any other head coach in NBA history. He's been there for a while. I tweeted the other day, he's starting to look like the Night King from Game of Thrones. Yeah. Just He's always had some wispy hair and a kind of disheveled look to his white beard, but it's getting uh, more disheveled by the day. But he keeps on winning despite 
a lack of talent on his roster, at least a lack of veteran talent that he's had for quite some time over his course uh, with San Antonio, but had to shut up Popovich. Obviously, I he's my best coach of all time. I had him in my top five still when we did today's top five right. coaches rankings just out of respect for Pop. Uh, I mean, the fact that they were even in the play-in tournament last year was impressive. They're on the brink of possibly breaking into that again this year. DeJounte Murray, a fantastic player, all-star. Um, you know, Popovich has, it's sort of, I, I would compare him with all due respect to Popovich, someone like a Kyle Shanahan from the NFL who has that long lineage of coaches who fall fall from him. Because that's how Popovich is. You think about all the different coaches who have come under his wing, like a Budenholzer, for example. Right. You know, coaches all around the late league really look up to him. So uh, quite a day for San Antonio Spurs fans and for Greg Popovich. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. He is my greatest coach of all time as well. Um, people want to say it's Phil Jackson fine you had the best player one of the best players of all time and then you had the greatest duo of all time in Kobe and Shaq congrats you have 11 wings rings um yes Greg had probably one of the best trios of all time um in Manu Tim Duncan and Tony Parker uh but I mean his consistent um wins I mean consistent winning seasons I mean he had like that that stretch of I think it was like 17 or 18 years in a row where he went to the playoffs with the Spurs and it was crazy um, and I will never know what happened with the whole Kawhi situation. That will be something that will never be understood by me. Um, but I still think like if I'm going in, I'm with you. Like if I'm in today's NBA, I would, and if I was like a playing, which I never will. Uh, but like, if I were playing in today's NBA, I would want to go play for pop. Like there's no, if, ands or buts about it, he would be so hard nosed, but he'd still have fun, know how to have fun with it. I feel like just the vibe he brings off. He is without a doubt to me, the greatest coach of all time with how he's done it in one in three different, like he in one in two different decades. Uh, well, I guess three different decades because he won in 99 too, but like that is his consistency has been incredible. And like you said, to be winning as much as he has over the past few years, last year when he had DeMar DeRozan and Jan DeJounte Murray, now it's just DeJounte Murray and Jakob Pertl who has somehow become like relevant. I mean, it is quite crazy. Um, he made guys like Tiago Splitter noticeable to people like me. So, I mean, like, it's it's pretty impressive. I mean, he boosted – I mean, he boosted the stock – the the value of guys like Danny Green, uh, guys like George Hill, who would not have been as good if it wasn't for Pop. So, I think what he has done for the NBA is great. Um, and his – he is an impeccable and incredible coach. So I totally agree with you. He is the greatest coach of all time. And I also think the guy he beat out is a little overrated. I think Donnie, Nel- I think Don Nelson, great guy was in the, I mean, was coaching the league in the seventies and stopped coaching in the early two thousands or yeah, early two thousands. I mean, the guys are late two thousands, but the guy's ridiculous, but I think pop deserved to be there and deserves to have this record. He has a 0.658 winning percentage. Um, I mean, that's absurd. I was looking back at his basketball reference page every season up until 2017, 2018, he was, uh, over 600 winning percentage minus his first season as a head coach. He was double digit wins over 500 every single season, except for one during that stretch minus his first season, of course, but it's been the last couple of seasons, uh, that have really, you know, slowed him down. And I don't think that's due to him. By any means, I mean, he has gotten older for sure, but uh, I mean, 
even coaches today talk about the chess match that goes on during the game and the miniature moves that happen. Uh, and despite that talent, he's still able to win games against really good teams uh, in today's NBA. And my favorite thing about Popovich is just the way he's able to build, build players and make them better. Just a pure talent development coach. Uh, and that's part, part him, part of the organization, but he's responsible for creating that culture, obviously, and bringing in the right guys. Um, Kawhi Leonard's example, number one, like he came into the NBA as a fantastic defender out of San Diego state. Uh, not a great shooter, decent raw athlete and scorer, but he obviously today is when healthy, a top 10 player in the NBA, arguably top five DeJounte Murray is case number two for me as well. Uh, so I'm really excited to see how DeJounte continues to grow and how other guys who come into this organization, possibly a Keegan Murray from my uh, university of Iowa. It would be awesome to see him in San Antonio. He just, he just screams spur to me. So yeah, I would, I would love to see that. And hopefully pop sticks around for one more year. That's the question I was going to ask Mitch. How long does Popovich stick around? Does he have one more year left in him? Maybe two. So I honestly think he was waiting until he broke this record. Like, I honestly mm-hmm. think that was just what he was like wanting to do. And that was it, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I would love to have him as long as we get him. And I, I think he's one of those guys. He wants to be involved with basketball until the day he dies. And so whether it's coaching, whether it's on the, player operations side of thing. I think it's uh, I'd love to see him just stay involved as long as he can. I also think coaching team USA meant a lot to him. Um, Mm -hmm. I was listening to a podcast recently talking about coach K uh, the Duke head coach, Mike Krzyzewski and how he held on to that post for so, so long uh, many terms, so to speak as, as terms in office at that post and Popovich finally got a gold medal as the head coach, but he was considered to be, you know, up, up for the candidacy of uh, USA men's team head coach when coach K received it. Um, and I believe it was the UNC head coach at that time. Dean uh, right. Dean Smith, Michael Jordan's coach famously um, who, who recommended coach K despite them being at rival schools. And that's what put him over the hump as comparison to Popovich. So I really hope he sticks around. I, I would love to see him coach like one more really competitive team who can make the playoffs. It would be really disappointing to see him end his career in a non playoff run. But uh, regardless, he's had a fantastic career uh, outside of this season. Another topic we wanted to hit on was the Nets Sixers game that happened this week. Obviously lots of bad blood based on recent acquisitions and trash talking and being in the same division, playing each other so many times per year. Uh, Ben Simmons was on the court, but not playing, uh, on the sidelines there uh, in the building was getting harassed continuously, but it didn't matter because the nets blew out the Sixers. The Sixers did not look like they were ready to play despite being at home and in that raucous environment. What, what is your initial takeaway from that game? And do you see the same result happening if they face off in the playoffs? Well, if they face off in the playoffs, absolutely. This is just another breakdown of James Harden, uh, in a big game. I mean, the man falters in every big game. I mean, in a bunch of big games he plays in. Um, And it's proven in the playoffs, whenever he's like the main focus, it's always going to go downhill. And so people, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, Harden, what did he shoot that night? He shot three of 17. What an abysmal number. And like only having 11 points, the only shining spot was Joel Embiid on that team, and he even shot 5 of 17. 15 of his points came from the line. I mean, it's freaking ridiculous. So I I think what's crazy is that Brooklyn 
it looked so much better. And the reason why is because they got a guy named Kevin Durant on their team mm-hmm. who looks like he has he will never miss a step. He is ridiculous. The guy was incredible. Um, and Kyrie even looked good that night. I mean, Kyrie looked like he tried on defense. It was crazy. Like, okay. I haven't seen him try on defense since the, the 2016 NBA Finals. And that was the hardest I've seen him try on defense since then. And he was all up in, he was all up in Harden the entire night. And it was – I hate Kyrie Irving. But my gosh, was that like so much fun to watch, like to watch two of my least favorite players go up against each other and Kyrie Irving and Joel Embiid. It was electric. And so I like Kevin Durant so much. And he just whopped on the Sixers that night. And I think that continues because who who do the Sixers have to guard Kevin Durant anymore? No one. They gave him up. They gave up Ben Simmons. Thibault, if anybody. But then you're still left to deal with Kyrie Irving. Um the thing with Kyrie, he's such a pesky defender and is really good at poking the ball out. Mm-hmm. He goes for a lot of steals, and he's just so quick and fast twitch that he can do that. If you remember back to the Celtics-Nets game, uh, Marcus Smart was mic'd up, and he was telling his teammates, like, put the ball out in front of you, and Kyrie, Kyrie will swipe at it every single time, and you can get fouled. That's mm-hmm. just the book on Kyrie. And he was able to get in Harden's head um, and make a difference. I mean, I was even hearing some anecdotes about them two going up against each other in practice on one-on-one and Kyrie right. was just toasting Harden. And that was when Kyrie wasn't playing because the vaccine mandate as much at least. And he was away from the team for some time. Uh, and I mean, he, that just really went to Harden's head and uh, people have attributed that to a factor why he left. Another guy that you didn't mention is Seth Curry. I've been calling on the nets to give Seth Curry the ball more, give him more shots mm-hmm. in that game. He had 24 points. 14 shots, eight from th- eight attempts from three. Fantastic. He also had something to play for returning to Philly. Right. Uh, he played awesome. So I, I'm a big fan of that Nets team, man. I already have a future on them. Uh, their odds are dropping. I can see to win the NBA title. They've won three in a row. Big win against uh, the Knicks today as well. And what was a competitive game? Uh, the right. Knicks have been the Knicks have been feisty. Uh, they haven't been a good team pretty much all year. We've noted that on the podcast multiple times, but they've started to play well. And RJ Barrett's really coming into his own. So that's not a that's not an easy win, especially without Kyrie today, uh, since it was a home game. So uh, I, I like where the Nets are, and the Sixers seem to be trending in the wrong direction. I mean, right now they're playing the Magic down to the Magic, and Harden's two for eleven. So another bad Harden performance. Uh, you always know, that. you always know he's in a bad spot when he's icing his calf uh, before <laughs> the game's over on the bench because he's having a bad game. That shit yeah. pisses me off so much. Do not fake really? an injury because you're just having a bad shooting night and you're soft. Yeah, no, oh. I agree with you. It's it's disgusting. But um, I don't. The Sixers are nowhere near contenders now for me. After like they, these these two games, like I can't see them being a contender. There's the net, there's only four contenders in the East for me right now. And there will have the Nets, the Celtics, the Heat, and the Bucks. And the Bucks are kind of like scaring me too about how after they played last night against the Warriors, which we don't need, we don't have time to get into that. But like it's just wild. They, they wild were on stuff. a six game win streak. Uh, now they're only two and a half games out of first place. So they have started to play better. Yesterday was horrendous performance. You're right against the Warriors. But uh, I mean, I think I'm with you on the Sixers right now. I think they're still contenders just based on the talent of those two guys. But if Harden's not going to show up, Embiid can't carry everything on his shoulders. Um, I wouldn't recommend anybody place a future on him right now. That's for sure. Oh. Um, 
And I, one thing I noted about the Sixers that scares me is their lack of depth on the bench now that they even in role guys, not just even the bench, also starting role guys. Uh, you're so reliant on those two guys and also on Tyrese Maxey. Um, and you don't have a Seth Curry to help you out. You don't have an Andre Drummond to help you out. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they didn't weren't playing Ben Simmons, but that hurts them too. I mean, he's a guy you can guard and is lengthy and can pass. Uh, so I, I don't like the way their bench is shaping out right now. You need an outstanding performance from Embiid and Harden to win a title or even contend for one. And right now they're not getting it. I completely agree. Well, we're done with the Sixers and Nets talk. We're done with the uh, pop talk. We're going to get into some fringe contender, Western Conference contender talk with our boy Jack Pollard here in a second about the Mavericks. We'll be right back after a quick break. Welcome back to the Hoopers Almanac. We have our good friend Jack Pollard, our Dallas Mavericks expert, I could say, uh, who is on to talk all things Mavericks. And of course, it's the same day as the Celtics decide to lose to the Mavericks on a KG retirement night. So that's a big kick to the crotch. But uh, Jack, thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. You know, four or five is live. Got to keep it going. Uh, happy to be here. Former, former good Mizzou friend and Hatchkeball legend. Uh, oh our here, <laughs> rec basketball team. That That is one of my fondest memories of Mizzou. Uh, and, and that was when we first became friends. I still have that pair of old basketball shoes that you lent me uh, that I still use to this day. Uh, I just oh, bought man. new ones like yesterday. So excited to try those on. But uh, we'll never forget uh, you helped me out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's cool to hear. Well, and it was all, I also remember the uh, players only meeting we had to have with the guests <laughs> because me and Jack were all talking to each other. The Jack's texting me one night. He's like, dude, we just need to talk. We need to get this out in the open. We can't be doing this tonight. I was like, okay. Dude, that was insane. I remember we were both like, we just want to go to bed, but like, this is like, what is going on? <laughs> dude, I know Logan Ball could care less. And we're on me yeah. <laughs> sitting in the corner when the boss and Chet are trying to draw plays up in the study hall, in the study room. On five. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Oh gosh. That's that brings back fond memories. Wow. <laughs> I, I will never forget our playoff game against the, the Asian squad. Uh, that the was, Red it Army. was the most the Red, most, Army. The Red Army. That was the most intense pickup game I think I've ever been in. I think there were so many uncalled fouls. I was oh yeah. Absurd. hundred percent. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think I ever saw Jack more mad in, than in that game because, like, I, I, Jack's a very tame guy for anyone who doesn't know him. And, like, he's very even keel. But whenever you push him over the edge, you can kind of see it. And there was the fire in his eyes that day that was the same color as his hair. And so it was just perfect. To, <laughs> it, was, it was great just to see him just hit the pull-up Kawhi mid-range oh. jumper, like, in, the, in these guys' face. It was, it was great. Yeah, rec basketball brings out a different side of me that most people shouldn't see, uh, to be honest. But, you know, I love it. So it is what it is. And speaking well, of physical basketball, we had one of those games today. Uh, Mitch's Boston Celtics uh, taking a fall, taking the L to the Dallas Mavericks, 95-92. Uh, controversial call there toward the end of the game. Looked like Luca almost fouled Marcus Smart in a three-point attempt, which would have maybe tied up the game. But a uh, very physical game. Mitch was texting me throughout and was surprised at just how brutal it was, especially in that first half. Uh, Jack, how do you feel about that game? And did you learn anything from that game at all? Uh, I mean, obviously I feel good. Uh, you know, 
two of the best teams this you know calendar year uh Really, the main thing is nothing gets me more anxious than when the Mavs play a nationally televised game because <laughs> the beginning of the year, they just kept putting us on TV and they'd be like, you know, the first game is Hawks-Mavs on national television. I'm psyched for a new year. Uh, lose by like 35 or something. And DeAndre Hunter just locks up Luka. And I was like, awesome, great start. So really, since I think at one point they were 1-9 and nine on national television at the beginning. So ever since then... You know, anytime these games come around, I get pretty nervous. So I feel great. They got a win. Uh, start of a big road trip coming up. So right. we'll see how that goes. Well, I was thinking about it. I mean, the first half was so low scoring. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I I was it was it was like everyone was throwing bricks up and the foul like at the refs swallowed their whistles. I'm not kidding you. It looked like there was 18 times Dwight Powell could have been like on the free throw line for flagrant fouls and like <laughs> just and or even it, it was going both ways though. Like the refs in the first half swallowed the whistles and then the second half were like, oh, maybe we should make up for every call we missed in the first half. So and yeah. that's why like the controversial smart call it's a it, looking back at it as a Celtics fan I wanted to be called but it's a good call because if you look at the rule book it's anything below the anything below the wrist is a foul and he pretty much gave him a high five so you really can't call it and it was really unfortunate but here we are so I thought it was a great game but like I told Jack before we got on I mean Luca decides to just ruin the Celtics anytime he <laughs> plays them it's been the fast past four games we played uh the Mavericks Luca decides to go off so it really hurts every time <laughs> yeah he he likes the celtics for some reason so well yeah it's the comparisons to larry bird i mean everyone everyone's comparing him to larry bird and it's just the second coming of the white guy so <laughs> i think Jokic is is often compared to bird as well just to throw his hat in the ring um but yeah i mean luca luca's fantastic player we're going to get into that more but um i interesting thing from this game that i just note about the mavs more generally is the big man for them essentially is non existent. I mean, <laughs> the Dwight big man, Powell's the basically empty your space. center. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, how do you feel about that going forward? Uh, I mean, going up against a Celtics team that essentially plays like two big men. Uh, I would call Al, For- Al Horford a power forward, but he could very well be a center in today's NBA yeah. and a different team. Robert Williams is a more traditional center. Uh, but this, the Mavericks seem to ho- hold their own, didn't even play Powell down the stretch, mostly played Kleba. Uh, as their big man how do you feel about that now that kp's out of out of the building uh i like parts of it i think the things that powell brings is luca likes playing with the rim running center that's good off of rolls uh it makes him when he goes to the basket even like deadlier uh he moves his feet well for his size um and that's like the only positives i can really say uh he (laughs) My brother and I, we've had the conversation. Uh, we we rank him about 28th best starting center in the NBA. <laughs> There's some backups that could probably push yeah. him back further. So um, it's, it's, it's rough. Uh, you know, even Maxi as a backup is, is rough. So I'm hoping that's like a next year thing they can improve on the roster for sure. Well, just to read off some of their stats, they combined for four points today. Uh, <laughs> on let's see one of five shooting over two from deep uh those five points or sorry four points two of them came from the line as well uh Powell only had three rebounds as your starting center which is insane but Kleba was big on the boards with 13 which was honestly kind of surprising uh 
I think he's even a bit shorter than Powell and less athletic. Uh, maybe it was the right place at the right time, but I think that's a really interesting uh, size uh, strength or uh, characteristic for them. When you think about some of the teams out West, like Denver, like Utah, where you're going, or even Phoenix, where you're going up against a really good traditional center. Uh, so just wanted to get your thoughts on that. That's, that's interesting. Denver is definitely a worry. Uh, if we went against Denver, that's kind of like a joke on Mavs Twitter where it's like Denver is easily, you know, Jamal Murray doesn't come back. Michael Boyd doesn't come back is still probably the worst matchup for him. Yep. Just because, I mean, as a Denver fan, how much do you want to see Dwight Powell guarding Nikola Jogic for 40 minutes a game? And very, like very much so. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> and it's also the way the Mavs play defense too, which we'll get into this later. Uh, but they play sort of a zone defense that if you're able to get in the middle of that due to their back line playing two or three guys in the back line, like a guy, Jokic, you can easily get the ball at the, at the free throw line and pick it apart with your passing. So I, I agree on that being a, one of the more favorable matchups for the Nuggets and one of the worst matchups for Dallas. But one thing we wanted to touch on before we get into the negatives or positives of their playoff run is just Luka Doncic, the star player for the Dallas Mavericks. Uh I know Luca gets some flack even from us on this podcast sometimes, mm-hmm. but where would, where do you really rank him in today's best players? Top 10, top five. Do you have a specific number that you, you give to him? Yeah, I think, I think it kind of depends if you're just basing on this year. I, I think it's, this year has been interesting. I think there's really like a one, a one B and a one C that kind of moves a little, but it's really, you know, Jokic and bead Giannis I, you know, you could probably put them in any order, but I think that's like a pretty solid three. And then it seems like four and five, if you want to, you know, make a top five, like most people do changes week to week, you know, some weeks it's Seth Curry and it's like, look at this guy. I think of lately, I think Luca's definitely pushing that boundary. I mean, player of the month. I mean, his numbers were insane in that month. It was almost 35 points, 10 rebounds, nine assists good efficiencies. And then, you know, you still got LeBron lingering. You still got Kevin Durant. So I I think that's kind of how I see it this season. Uh, But just like, I mean, what he's done in his career is just insane. Just like his basketball career overall, what he's done for Sylvania, like everything has just been insane. So I personally, I like to put him in the top five, but I, you know, all those players I named good arguments for. (laughs) And he's beat Steph twice. In, in the past couple of weeks, too, uh, you know, obviously those head-to-head matchups take it with a grain of salt, but I think that's meaningful as well. I've, I have him at number six, just outside of my top five, uh, behind Giannis, Kevin Durant, Nikola Jokic, LeBron, and Joel Embiid. I have him right ahead of Steph, John Morant, DeMar DeRozan, and then Kyrie Irving uh, for my top ten of current players. I think Paul George would probably be in there. Uh, maybe higher than Luka Doncic, in my opinion, based on what he does in the defensive end of the floor. Oh, big Paul George guy. No, no, sorry, uh, Kawhi Leonard. I meant to Okay, okay. But Kawhi Leonard hasn't played a minute this entire year. That's the issue. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, I think he's played. fair. Uh, I think that's I think that's a fair one. But but he's 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 fringe top five for me. I have him at number six. Mitch, what about you? I also have I have him at number six. Uh, I was honestly shocked that you put him in front of Steph, so that was like going to be my one thing. But I think. He's been, like you said, Jack, I mean, he had an incredible month of February and he's having an incredible start to March. Um, The only, I mean, and I won't blame him at all for the Knicks loss this past week. Uh, Everyone else is to blame (laughs) for that game. Um, So 
I mean, and he showed off in the Rockets game uh, on Friday, which was, I mean, it, which I will say, uh, going back to Dwight Powell, Dwight Powell had the first four, I mean, for first eight points in that game. So let's not crap on. Well, then again, he was going up against Shangun. So that's a. He cooked Shangun, but that's <laughs> that shouldn't say a lot. So. Right, talking talking about the two below two centers that are below uh, Dwight Powell, Shangun is one of those twenty nine and thirty on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think yeah, I have Luka Doncic at number six. You're so right. It is Embiid. It's it's Jokic and Giannis in that one, two, and three, whatever order you want to put them in. We are a we are of the mind that it is. Uh, I am of the mind that it's Jokic, Giannis, then Embiid. Um, and then it goes Katie and LeBron um, and Katie showed it this past week going up against the Sixers and ruining them. And then uh, today carrying the, uh, the nets against the Knicks, I thought was incredible. So, um, and then LeBron having 50 points in two separate games already in this, I mean, the, in the past month, which was incredible. So I, I, and I, but look, I mean, uh, Doncic has the third highest PER in the NBA right now, he's the second highest usage rate. He is the second, if not third, most important player on any team right now in the NBA behind um, Jokic and Embiid. So I think he has he holds a lot of standing in today's NBA, and especially for the Mavericks. Definitely, yeah. I mean, like like we talked about with Denver. I mean, when I look at the West, there's only one series where I'm like. All right, there's like a serious chance Luca isn't the best player in a playoff series, and it's Denver. So, yeah. What do you? One thing that you know, I sort of get get riled up about Luca sometimes is just the the complaining and the the sort of non traditional basketball things that happen during the course of a game. Do you have any thoughts on that? And have you seen him mature at all over the course of even this year? Oh yeah, I, I think we have over the course of the year. I think of like, I do you mean like like flopping? Is that what you mean? It could be flopping or just complaining about a call. I feel like he he's a frequent complainer. I feel like Jokic used to be in that same category as well, and he's actually cleaned it up quite a bit this year. Um, and he's sort of he's sort of attributed that Jokic has to being the leader and saying I just can't get caught up in that sort of stuff. And I feel like Luca maybe gets there by playoff time and it started to even do better on that front. But I think that's something I notice a lot uh, when I watch them play, especially earlier in the year and in previous years with him. Yeah, I definitely think earlier on in the season, it, it was a little bit worse. Uh, you know, I think like you said, Jokic had the problem and both, I, both guys have been linked to coming in and out of shape at times. And I think that has a mm-hmm. big role in it because they just don't have the quickness that refs want to be able to make like a call for, I think. Mm-hmm. But also, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't get, like, it doesn't bug me too much. Sometimes it does if it's, like, clear that that's overwhelming the play. Right. Uh, but really, I mean, I, I think you go down the line of any star player, for the most part, I think you're going to see a fair act of complaining. And yep. I, I don't know. I, I don't get too caught up in it. But at times, yeah, it can be much. I mean, the the still the most demonstrative of it all is LeBron with his LeBron strut. If he doesn't get a foul call, which is my favorite go-to, but I mean, he, he does the arms out the, the big steps and it's just like, where's my foul. So I don't think he's, I, I think Luca, I, I told Aaron this, I went to a Mavs Pacers game earlier this year in Indiana. And I think I counted 13 times where Luca uh, went off to the refs to just to complain to him. I will say today was a lot better and it was even a worse call. I mean, an even worse called game. And I think Luca, <laughs> I think went over like three or four times. And so it was a much decreased number. 
Uh, so I will say that I, I think personally that Luca has matured. We are of the anti, anti-complaining, and I also am the guy who has to deal with J- Jason Tatum yelling at referees every now and then too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the other thing is, too, he's 20. He just turned 23 two oh, weeks ago. I, if, I mean, he's younger than us, basically, so I'm Crazy. like, I don't know. If I was getting beat up by Rob Williams and Marcus Smart, I, I think I'd have some things to say. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think if especially if it's uh, Marcus Smart, who is shorter than him and also has this mm. bulldog mentality. <laughs> yeah and my biggest thing is you know complain all you want really but if you don't get back on defense that's like my biggest pet peeve and honestly lebron is prime suspect number one for right uh right now <laughs> like partially i think that's also him trying to conserve his body like selfishly but the amount of times i watch lakers basketball and see him in the front court and then cherry pick off like a steal yeah. <laughs> it is absurd how many times that happens happens it just makes me so angry and he never he never used to do that so uh you know it's just it's part of the way the game is now today too and how how a lot of players uh just really lobby for calls throughout the entire game definitely yeah well aaron you talk about the defense uh for the mavericks this year and you talk about whenever luca does get back i mean jack when you think about i mean the improvement the mavericks have made this year on defense i mean do you what do you kind of like attribute that to do you think it's jason Kidd? do you think it's the roster they have in place or what do you what do you kind of attribute their defensive uh improvement this year too so i guess i'll start with no one could have ever predicted this to happen i i'll just be honest this roster for the most part has been the same for three straight years uh outside of you know pre-Porzingis trade, uh, you're looking at an influx of DeLon Wright and Josh Richardson. And, you know, so not like major pieces, really. Uh, and they've been, you know, bottom third in defense the past, like, three years. So no one saw this coming, so it really is credit to, uh, I think, just the coaching staff mainly uh, is, like, the main thing I would do it for. You know, Jason Kidd, you know, worked under Frank Vogel, the Lakers, you know, past not this year but other two years have had really good defenses but you know you think they have lebron they have ad they have caruso uh i don't know how the mavericks defense is as good uh dorian <laughs> finney smith is he i love him love him with all my heart uh he you know probably gets some votes for an all defensive team but i i don't know how this team is as good on defense i watch it every time like how did we hold the 76ers to under 100 points with Dwight Powell at center. I, it makes no sense. So, and also the Celtics today to 92. And you look at Jason Tatum, you know, struggled seven for 23 from the field, three for 10 from deep. Jalen Brown, six for 16 from the field, two for seven from deep. And you mentioned that when you look up and down that roster, you don't really see like a lockdown defender. On most teams, you have at least one guy that you can throw out the best player. But with the Mavericks, it's more of a style. And you look at Jason mm-hmm. Kidd, his his record has always been critiqued in his, in his stops in Brooklyn in his stop in Milwaukee. But one thing he's done is improved the defense in both places he's gone. And that's obviously present here. Uh, I mean, the Mavericks have moved up to the sixth in defensive rating after being 21st last year. Uh, I mean, it's just really impressive. It, it seems like they're employing some sort of zone defense on the back end. That's allowing Luca to sort of serve as this floater, um, which is reducing his exposure to being a one-on-one defender uh, while also, you know, enhancing his ability to really just have good ball skills and pick off passes mm-hmm. or help off of a defender. Uh, so I, I think it's genius the way it's, it's gone. 
uh, and Jason Kidd deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, but we've seen with the Celtics, this has sort of been a similar transition for them and them improving in defense. It's taken time. It wasn't pretty early on in the year, but now that it's actually uh, improving now and coming coming into fruition. Yeah, but even like the Celtics, I mean, Rob Williams, Marcus Smart, you know, Al Horford's old, but still just like good defender. You know, you got long right. wings. I, it really is like you said, Aaron. It, it's almost like a zone. It's they, you know, I've listened to them talk about it. it's a team scheme, and it really is just about rotations and getting people off the three point line, getting people to not to shoot at the rim. So it's about taking those long twos. Which, if you're playing any team but the Suns, it's a really good tactic. <laughs> that is a great point. I mean, so, you know, we, you talked about this team being very similar over the past three years. Um, and then we had probably the most surprising trade, I think, at, at the deadline. Uh, one of the, well, outside of the, I mean, the Harden and Bede, I mean, the Harden and uh, Simmons <laughs> one. Um, but like the Dinwiddie Porzingis trade, I mean, when you originally saw it, what was like kind of your reaction? And now, I mean, after a nine and two record with Dinwiddie, I mean, what, how have you felt about it since? Yeah, I mean, I remember that day really well. Uh, that trade was made like with 10 minutes left to go before the deadline. I tweet at the Mavericks. I said, are you guys going to do something? <laughs> then refreshed and saw Sean said that Christos Porzingis was being traded. And I was like, oh, my God. So <laughs> I, I knew they would do something. Uh, but it's weird. The initial reaction was like, oh, they want to break up his salary and like, it's a lot easier, I think, to rebuild a scoring guard uh, that can get to the rim and a shooter potentially than a injury-prone center that doesn't shoot effectively from basically anywhere at this point <laughs> uh, and improved on defense from his first healthy offseason, quote-unquote. So, yeah, I, I was first happy about that. I mean... You know, I follow a lot of the, the media stuff pretty heavily, and every player they were, like, linked to was, like, you know, John Collins. They, they won in on John Collins. They won in on Marcus Smart. They won in on all these people, and it's, like, Porzingis isn't going to get that done at $30 million going all the way up to, like, $35 million by his last year. That's a player option that he will be picking up, I assume. Right. Uh, <laughs> so that was just, like, oh, you know, it just might not be as good this year, and Really, the shocking thing's just been how quickly Dinwiddie's fit in, uh, his understanding for his role. And really, you know, Bertans is like, you, he only plays like 10 minutes a game unless he's hidden. And if he's hitting, keep him out there, you know, whatever. But Dinwiddie's been the big thing. And I really think with, you know, Jalen Brunson as, you know, greatly developed since coming to the NBA and he's having a great year, but he struggles so much with length that it's nice having even a third option to go to if we're playing someone with more lengthy guys. No, I completely agree. And I've, I was confused at first whenever I saw this trade, I was like, okay, so Brunson <laughs> has to be moving then too. Cause I was like, okay, there are, you've got a very ball, I mean, ball handling centric guy and Luka Doncic. Then you have Jalen Brunson, who is kind of your, kind of your playmaker or ball handler off the bench, or who's kind of been starting here and there. So why why are we getting Dinwiddie, who can is also a very ball dominant guy? 
So it was just very weird. And I agree with you. Somehow it's worked and I've loved it because it's very constant flow between the three of them. And as we saw it at the end of the day, at the end of the game today, you, you can still rely on him to hit shots. Even when he's gone cold, somehow he still comes up in the clutch and decides to hit a game, a game deciding three. And the interesting thing too, about Dinwiddie is he didn't work well with Bradley Beal in Washington. And so you think maybe, all right, if you pair him with another really good guard, albeit Bradley Beal is a very different type of player than Luka Doncic is, both in terms of caliber and play style, where Luka is more of a ball handler. But you'd think that even be more contradictory with a guy like Dinwiddie, who also wants the balls in his the ball in his hands quite a bit. Um, and you think back to his time in Brooklyn when they had that really fun team in the bubble, mm-hmm. and they were, they were spicy, uh, as I think are seven or eight seed, something like that. And I mean, he was fantastic. He had an incredible series despite them losing in the first round. Um, so, I mean, I, I think, I think that I was surprised by that and just how well it seems like they fit together based on how Dinwiddie kind of crashed butted heads with uh, Beal in Washington. Yeah. And I think, you know, like we talked about the, how do we feel about Dwight Powell being the starting center is like Dinwiddie does fit the mold of where the team was going more, where you have a guy that, can create for guys like Dorian Finney-Smith, who's mostly spot-up shooting. Reggie Bullock, who didn't play today, mostly spot-up shooting. You know, Tim Hardaway Jr. has been injured for a bit, but when he's at his best, it's mostly catch-and-shoot threes. And so having someone who – Jalen is really good about playing off of Luka and just being able to be in the right spot to hit a three or cut. And, you know, I just think they needed someone else that – I mean, you look at the game today uh, – you know, he was getting doubled every single play and right. passing to Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba makes my heart stop every time because they're not <laughs> decision-making bigs and they need to find someone who can make another quick decision fast. So having two guys on both wings where they can just send it their way helps a lot, I think. Do you think he's coming off the bench come playoff time or do you think he moves into that starting slot alongside Brunson, uh, alongside Luca and a replacement of Brunson? I... I think it's most likely to start a series. I, I, I can't see him starting over Brunson. I, I think there could be adjustments where he starts over Brunson or starts over Reggie Bullock, who typically mm-hmm. starts uh, mm-hmm. like, like what happened today. Uh, but I, I can't – Brunson's really earned that spot. And like I said, when it comes to players that play well with Luka, it, like Dorian and Brunson are just like so ideal, and they really know their roles, and it's good. Yeah, I was going to – well, so that goes to my next question. You're thinking about role players on this Mavericks team. Jack, who's your favorite one? Like, because for me, my favorite Celtics role player is um, Derek White now, and I love him. Oh, yeah. I'm so skeptical of him. But, like, who is your, like, okay, I will love you for the rest of my life kind of, like, role player for this Mavericks team? You still, well, love, first... Derek, you still love Derek White after going 2 for 10 today and 0 for 4 <laughs> Let me love him, okay? He's just, he's very good on defense. Can you get off? He's, he's like, a role player. He's a role. He's player. a role player. It's much it's a much different feeling than I had for Semi Ojale when this man couldn't like <laughs> step out on defense and also decided to like try to hack up a corner three every time he touched the ball. Hey man, you're you're talking to the guy who was high on the Derek White acquisition before you were. So I'm just well. I'm Derek just White is that. a creator on offense. He when it comes to creating plays for others. That I mean, he had an incredible lob to Rob today, which made me jump out of my chair. His only assist of the game. Uh, <laughs> it was beautiful. But Jack, favorite favorite role player for the Mavericks? Oh, I just want to say first, I was pretty mad about the Derek White trade. Uh, we traded Josh Richardson and got Moses Brown, who's on a 10-day <laughs> contract with the Cavs now, and a trade <laughs> exception. 
So I, I'm pretty mad about that. Uh, but, and Al Richards said good for, in San Antonio. <laughs> yeah, good good for you guys. Good for you guys. Uh, but my favorite role player, it's tough. Uh, I think, like, it feels almost disrespectful to say Dorian uh, just because he plays the second most minutes. Uh, and really just, like, a cult favorite, I'd say, of mine is Josh Green, which Ooh. I don't think many people who don't watch the Mavs know who that is. He uh, – He's a he's Australian, so he played in the Australian national team this summer. Right. Uh, Rick Carlisle hates rookies, so he played like maybe twenty games last year. It was uh, yeah, <laughs> so he's been interesting this year, uh, just because he is the strangest player I've ever seen play basketball. I don't, I know what he does well, and I know what he does bad, and it's kind of both the same, and it's just <laughs> sometimes really fun to watch because he. He is like almost too athletic for his own good. He's just running around. He's he does jump passes all the time. He doesn't know how to pass on the ground, and he's just literally flying around. And it's it's entertaining at least. Got to give him that. Sounds like me playing two K. Like I, it was always the jump shot turned into a pass kind of thing. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, hardly I, ever ends up in a turnover too. This is just like a glitch <laughs> in the Mitchell Cell two K game. It's oh, it's man. awesome, <laughs> but no, I I also I mean I know there was a few guys who were high on Josh Green coming out of the draft, and I was so confused why Carlisle didn't play this man like more, and because of everyone who I mean I, I listened to Bill Simmons on on a on a religious level, and so like for him and he was like all up in Josh Green, and he was confused why he wasn't getting played either, and so I like that kids playing him now. He he's kind of just shown why he deserves it. And I totally agree with you. There are those moments you're like, okay, can you stop doing this like <laughs> yesterday? That'd be great. And so, but there are yeah, also but these I, moments. I love it at the same time. Like, oh, no, I every get it. time it's, it's he checks in the smart... game, every time he checks in the game, you're just like, the game just changed. Like, you can see the other team, like, what the heck is this guy? Like, mm-hmm. they don't know what to do with him. Like, can he shoot? Is he going to dunk on us? Like, or is he just not going to shoot the ball at all? It's interesting. It's it's a very it's very Marcus young Marcus Smart esque of like <laughs> oh okay so you're gonna just step out here and take this three when there is like no no chance that this is going in when there's a hand <laughs> in your face oh okay good go for you yeah <laughs> I I feel that on a religious level it's okay <laughs> I love but, that I mean I I'm personally a big Bronson fan if you qualify him as a role player even though he's a starter now he's just played so well um, I mean Jalen. He's a, he's the type of guy you knew what he was coming out of college too, coming from mm-hmm. Villanova, who was there, I believe, all four years. Um, I want to yeah. say three. Maybe he was there four. for all four years because he was there. He was their sixth man when they uh, won the title against UNC, and then he was there whenever they won the title again. Or yes, when they won the title again, and he was like their starting guard. Yeah, he he was there for quite a while, and yes. he just seemed like the type you know very mature knows what he is and he's even grown since he's been in the NBA, which you've obviously seen firsthand. I, I was a big, I am a big Jalen Brunson fan and I'm hopeful he gets a big contract uh, that really pays off how much he's grown and gotten better. Definitely. Uh, he, he deserves it. I, you know, I love Brunson. Like you said, I mean, just, you know, he's a winner and just having that type of guy in a locker room is just, I think very helpful plays well off of Luca. Like I said, the only thing is like, Anytime you see like a Mikel Bridges on him or something like that, it's a it's like a lot of like two for two for tens. 
just too long to yeah for him when he he's what like six one maybe um yeah. if that maybe six <laughs> yeah yeah that's I, I mean that yeah Mikhail Bridges is a top ten defender in the NBA so I think it's a tough matchup anybody who's guarding but yeah True. totally get that and there are some long teams out west the team I think of that is the Raptors but I mean that's obviously an Eastern team but that's just guys that throw a length at everybody I'm trying to think of a Western equivalent there but. Uh, yeah, definitely get what you're saying on Brunson. Whenever you're kind of thinking about the playoffs, I mean, who is your kind of your ideal first round matchup for the Mavs, Jack? I think that's interesting. Uh, you know, I would say, I'd say Denver is probably my least popular, you know, right now, I think we're a half game behind Utah for the fourth seed. Utah is weird. Uh, I like I, I could see it going either way. You know, like I said, I think Luke is the best player in that series. I feel mm-hmm. very confident saying that. Oh, I uh, but Utah does have like a more complete roster, I would say, most likely, and better players that can score consistently 12 points. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that one's an interesting one. Uh, I, I like Memphis. Like I would love for us to go against Memphis. Mm-hmm. I just think you know, I think Luca's five and one against Ja Moran in his career. And there's a lot of Ja love out there these days. And I think that would be a fun series for them to go up against each other. Right now, looking at the standings, they're four games back of Golden State and Memphis and two games ahead of Denver. So you got some cushion on either side of Dallas and Utah. So right now it's looking like Utah is going to be the matchup if things hold. Um, I personally love Dallas in that series. I mean, you talked about the way Dallas plays defense and try to run you off the three-point line and protect the paint while allowing mid-range jumpers. And you think about the way Utah wants to play, it is huck up threes and get mm-hmm. lobs to go bare. Uh, I mean, you have a, a height disadvantage and go bare, but on the flip side, you can go small and create issues for uh, Utah on defense. And if you run Utah off the three-point line, uh, I mean, that's that's a huge huge ability for Dallas to, to give them the work. And I like Luca just cooking Gobert too. I can just visualize <laughs> the step back happening uh, in the in late fourth quarter. I, and I'm loving it. So I think that's a really good matchup for Dallas. If, if that is the matchup indeed. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree. Jazz were the one I was going to say that kind of popped out in my head. Cause I compare this Mavericks team to last year's Clippers team. It's a lot of mm-hmm. hodgepodge of guys who Outs who have they had the one star last year was Paul George since Kawhi was out and then you have this year it's for the Mavs it would be Luca who are all gonna try their uh, who are gonna go all out and especially if the Mavs are at full strength they have Hardaway and Bullock on I mean playing and healthy it's it's pretty pretty similar to what the Mavericks were throwing out I mean the Clippers were throwing out there a little less length than what the the Clippers had last year in the playoffs but I still like Luca to just cook like like Aaron said cook on Gobert play him off the floor plus if gobert is going to stay on the floor and he like decides to do a little thing i mean rarely go off just i love the boban minutes i know we're going to get out of it so that's <laughs> very happy yeah definitely i mean i think for the most part i'll just be high like very excited just not to play the clippers again right. uh you know the, the first year luca you know first year in the playoffs you know taking a team that was favored to win the championship to six games and Luca's first playoffs was really cool. And honestly, those games were really close and Luca got injured. But the last year one, I just 
I, I have a hard time saying there was a better first round series. That I mean, it was yeah. unbelievable. And when you think of guys you want to throw at Luca, it's guys that are wings. And when you have two of the best defending wings, and then also, you know, Patrick Beverly, you have Marcus Morris. I, I just, I would be excited to play a different team and also just like <laughs> a different style of the team and, and see what Luca can do. <laughs> I completely agree. That, that I think. Yeah, and I think Luca's one of those guys that can just get hot. I mean, we haven't seen it yet um, as far as multiple rounds of the playoffs, but I think he's the type of guy that could carry you to a Western Conference Finals, uh, even an NBA Finals, uh, despite the team around him. You know, I don't think it's the best best team in terms of talent uh, outside yeah. <laughs> of number one, but they've clearly played well together and have succeeded over the last 16 games. I think they're you guys are 13-3. and three. Uh, one of the best second half teams so far in the NBA Celtics are up there. Nuggets are up there as well. So clearly all three of us are doing something right as fans. Uh, <laughs> but I just, you know, I think I, I see Dallas propelling themselves past a first round series. I agree with you taking the Clippers to seven last year, taking them to six the previous year and how talented that Clippers team was like that could easily have been a, uh, an NBA champion either the last two years. If Kawhi doesn't get hurt last year, and if the Nuggets don't just make magic uh, the year before that. So I, I I love the Mavs to at least get to the second round. And then it becomes a question of who are you playing? It's probably Phoenix. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's going to be a tough matchup. But I think Dallas can also give them a run for their money. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do in the playoffs. Yeah, Phoenix would be a, it would be an interesting one. We would have to see, but... Really, I, I think the goal is really just to get Luca a taste of the second round. And I, I just think like the whole organization wants that just because of, you know, if Luca gets a first, it gets his third first round exit, they're not going to look at how close those games were. They're not going to look at Tim Hardaway Jr. was the second best player on the playoff team last year. They're not going to mm-hmm. care about any of that. It's just going to be headlines. Luca can't make it out of the first round. Yeah. So. <laughs> Kendrick yeah. Perkins is going to bring out his carry the hell on shit and yeah. <laughs> trash Luka Doncic. And oh man, I just, yeah, I agree. Uh, I, go ahead, Mitch. No, I was just going to go into it. I mean, so we're thinking about outside the Mavericks. We're going to think a little broader in the NBA. Who is your NBA finals prediction? What is your NBA finals prediction right now, uh, Jack? I, I'm a very. I don't like to overreact to things, so I, I like to really see it out. So I think it's hard to bet against the Suns. I mean, at the end of a game, I I just I, I've watched them just destroy my team and other teams so many times in the fourth. If it's close and it's in the fourth quarter, it's it's basically a loss. Uh, so I, I have them in the West and the East is I. Uh, that one's that one's so tough. Uh, I I picked box just because I just think I keep telling myself they're saving an extra gear for when the playoffs comes. I think, mm. like we talked about, I I think Giannis is one of those three guys where it's like he's one of the best players on any given night in the NBA, um, just on both ends of the floor. And I, I just outside of Bam, I, I really don't like anyone else's chance guarding him. So. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, so this has kind of been like a weekly thing now as we've hit past All-Star break, Aaron and I have kind of done this. Uh, last week, I had switched my West Conference pick. That was all your Warriors and to, to the Suns now. And Welcome have, aboard. Thank you. 
Um, because I can't see a team beating the Suns now. I mean, I, I, and it, I, for some reason, it took me Chris Paul and Devin Booker being out for me to kind of finally see that somehow. Yeah. Um, just why that was, don't know. Um, and my Eastern Conference has continually changed. La- I mean, two weeks ago was the, three weeks ago was the Heat, two weeks ago was the Bucks, last week it was the Celtics. Um, so it really has been a roller coaster of teams. This week it's going to be the fourth uh, fourth contender I have, and it's the Brooklyn Nets. So we oh, are. Wow. I I have jumped all over the place, and so we are at the Suns Nets. Suns are still winning it. Um, I think there mm. is no mal- more malleable teams in the NBA than the Nets and the Suns, and I think that's so important, especially when it comes to the East and West Coast. I mean the the Suns look so good. Um, and it's really hard to beat, but the Nets, I mean, how badly they beat up on the Sixers earlier this week, uh, how, how well they played without Kyrie Seth Curry today against the Knicks. I think this team is incredible and it hurts me to say that because I would hate <laughs> to see Kyrie Irving in another NBA finals. And that would bring me the most pain <laughs> in the world. And playing tourney to champions. Let's, let's do it, Brooklyn. It's a That's possibility the they get that sixth seed. I mean, they are three and a half back at Cleveland, but Cleveland's not looking great right now. Uh, Jared Allen's been out for a few games. Dar- there's just been so much on Darius Garland's shoulders too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Brooklyn sneaks in at the six. They they are very hot right now. But that being said, uh, they are in the playing tournament, like you said, Jack, and it's, it's likely they remain there. But uh, I have the Heat, Sun still. Uh, I also am tempted to take the Nets. Love that. Oh my gosh, what uh, is happening? <laughs> dude, no, trust me. It was a it it's was a sky wild falling. Thought. I'm nervous. Yes, because because here's the thing. I, that means that in the first round they either have to beat the Heat or the uh Bucks in the first round. And then they have to go on to either beat the Celtics at, well, the, the Celtics would be the tougher of the two matchups, the Celtics and the Sixers. And I think how the Celtics played against them two a week ago was the best the Celtics have played all 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 freaking year, and they had to rely on Jason Tatum getting over fifty in a game. So that that's just the difference. I think they got to get to that seven seed. Uh, I I think the Heat are a worse matchup for them than the Bucks personally. I know the Bucks have more offense, but I just like the amount of guys like Bam Adebayo and. PJ Tucker and so many different defenders. I know Giannis and Drew Holiday obviously are great defenders as well for the Bucks. Um, and Drew Holiday matches up well with Kyrie. But I'm even thinking about the second series that they would play then probably against Philly. We just saw the Nets blow out Philly uh, a couple nights ago, and I really love that matchup for the Nets despite Embiid existing and the Nets not having a good center. Uh, so I mean, I yeah, I I just think the Nets got to get the seven. If they do it, I think they have enough talent. They have enough scoring to be anybody. But I like the Heat just because they've been a cohesive team all year. They're a top five defensive team as well, just like the Celtics and the Mavs we talked about. And it really comes down to where they can find offense. And I I, I trust Bam right now uh, to, to be their guy down the stretch. He's grown more and more confident. So I'm sticking with the Heat out east. But I'm glad to hear we all have the Suns out west, which means they're they're definitely going to lose. Uh, <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's Mitchell. So karma, I'm telling you, it's Mitchell. So karma, they're going to lose in the first round and they're going to lose no. just, Oh, the Timberwolves are going to somehow do their thing. And they're going to beat them in the first round. Aiton's no. going to become irrelevant and cat's going to go up for 40 a night. They ain't losing to the Timberwolves. Timberwolves couldn't stop a nosebleed. <laughs> either. Uh, and I I'll take Chris Paul and D'Angelo Russell, man. That is like, 
The Timberwolves <laughs> oh, had the man. best record in the NBA post All Star break. I don't, I don't want to hear it. Like I'm pretty sure they lost sample. to the Rockets. Well, yeah, but <laughs> the, the our, our, our team's Jack are the t- next two, so I really can't say much after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's fair. I, you know, I. I like the Heat a lot too, Aaron. That's that one I, I debate. I question too, like you mentioned, offense. When it comes to ha- like you know playoff, it's all about half court offense. Yep. You really just have Tyler Hero and Bam kind of doing a two man game. Jimmy hasn't looked the same as he did like in the bubble as far as just offensively, and maybe he's saving it. But that's kind of my biggest worry with them there. That's fair. I I think what pushes them over the top for me in comparison to the Bucks despite the Bucks probably having the three best offensive players, uh, two, two best offensive players um, on the court in Middleton and Giannis is the, the bench depth for the Heat and the amount of shooters mm, that they have yeah. on the bench right now. Like the Bucks, they're still missing Pat Connaughton. Uh, Grayson Allen's been solid for them, but they don't have a super deep bench right now. Uh, they picked up Serge Ibaka in the trade deadline, which he's actually played pretty well. Had a good night the other night against the Warriors, but... Uh, I mean, you think about the Heat, Max Struess, Duncan Robinson, uh, Gabe Vincent even has stepped in and played really good minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Caleb Martin, I believe, one of the Martin twins. Uh, I I mean, they just have so many shooters they can throw at you. And Spolster's great about drawing up plays. I mean, the the amount of double screens that they set when Bam is just holding the ball in the wing and gets an assist or Jimmy's holding the ball in the wing. Uh, I, I really like the way they run their offense and rely on shooters so if they can get hot like you don't necessarily need a number one guy uh if, if they're hitting like 15 threes a game which is very possible definitely yeah it seems a little too jazz-esque but at least the heat have defense that's <laughs> kind of that's my that's my difference between the two of them is the at least the heat have defense and you have a better coach also very true i quinn snyder mizzou made but my lord having uh eric spolstra is an infinitely better coach and then we went to the finals two years ago i mean that was a weird year. Like obviously will, a lot of I'd, people. Yeah. That, that was the weirdest year ever. And they played the Celtics in the Eastern conference finals who didn't deserve to be there either. So, but still like <laughs> that team's like, they've proven themselves already. And you think about it, like Kyle Lowry has been out for weeks and he's actually been pretty decent for them. Uh, and if he can come back and actually have some sort of offensive production, like we know what he brings from a leadership aspect we know what he brings from a defensive perspective despite how annoying it is to see him take a million charges per game and get ridiculous calls like he's still a meaningful player so i mean we're not even adding him into the equation right now and they're first in the east so i mean they they really control their own destiny as long as they don't play brooklyn in round one which is just a tough wake-up call for a number one seed. yeah (laughs) that's that's tough (laughs) every possible well jack thank you so much for coming on we appreciate it man and we always whether it's talking good or bad about the Mavericks, we appreciate talking about them anyways. Um, but we thank you so much for coming on to talk about just another fringe contender we have out West. Uh, Jack, where can the people find you on Twitter just to, so that way they can catch you tweeting at the Mavericks? Oh, man. You, you don't want to find me on Twitter. I yeah, uh, that's that's for three beers in Jack. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> we can stay away from that. Uh, but I appreciate you guys having me on. This was really fun. It was good. Good to catch up. Great time, man. Appreciate it. And hopefully the Mavs and the Nuggets avoid each other in the first round. And maybe we can meet in the Western Conference Finals. How about that? Oh, that would, you know, that's that's a no-lose situation. You know, we got to the Western Conference Finals. I'm okay with it. I'm sure you're okay with it. You know, it's good times. 
I, I could, I would not complain about that at all. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Dwight Powell would, but that's, it. <laughs> that's fair enough. Well, Jack, thank you so much. We'll be right back with a little cereal and Bruce. We are back with some cereal and brews. Um, this week, uh, Aaron and I decided we would just review Batman. Um, we're a week out, and I'm apologizing now. So, spoiler alert, we are going to talk about the movie. And if you don't want to listen to it, go watch the movie and then come back and listen to our thoughts on the movie. Um, first and foremost, Aaron, I mean, we both saw it. I saw it for a second time this week. I saw it the day it came out. It came out on my birthday. So, I was like, okay, I have to go see it. Um, but what is your rating for batman 9.2 out of 10 uh it is my second favorite batman that i've seen ever uh dark knight is ahead of it obviously as everyone who has a sane mind would uh i just i really enjoyed it uh won't get into it too much right now since we're just doing an initial rating and we'll get into the nitty-gritty but uh it was a completely different batman to me like what robert pattinson brought was a completely different version of Batman. I was completely skeptical of him as as really? the actor, but he brought it. I mean, I was impressed by what he did. He was definitely a little bit like for him. I think he played a troubled Batman who like mm-hmm. clearly has that mental like struggle with his family better than Christian Bale did, better than George Clooney did, better than a lot of these other Batmans did. Right, uh, which is just you know, his physical stature sort of lends itself to that, but also the makeup and the eye black and the different things that they did was great. The hair, uh, just it, he was, he was awesome in it, uh, for some of his downsides on the physical side of things. Like he more than made up for it. I thought in his acting performance. So 9.2 out of 10. Yeah. So when I saw it originally, I gave it an eight, nine. Um, and then I went and saw it again and I gave it like an eight, seven. So it went down like 2%. Um, but I thought it was, I agree with you. Robert Pattinson to me had proven himself as like an action movie actor. When I went and saw Tenet, thought he was really good in that. Um, he was a side role in that. So it wasn't like he was the main character. And then I went and saw this and I was like, Holy crap. Um, we'll get into the casting a little bit later, but my first overall thing is they didn't miss one, one spot. The mm-hmm. acting was perfect. And I think they did an incredible job uh, when it came to casting this movie. Um, and I think, the Riddler himself is my second is the second best villain we've seen in Batman behind Heath Ledger uh, as Joker. That is wow. that is my take on that. I think Paul Dano as Riddler was fantastic because it's not the comic book uh, dressed in the suit of question marks looking Riddler, which sure you could have had a little bit of like still that com- com- like comic book esque kind of thing but I still think it was such a hateable character and he played it so well as Paul Dano does so well of playing such a crappy, shitty, hateable character. You see it in there will be blood. You see it in prisoners. He is so disgustingly hateable in all those movies. And he did it again in this. And he did it again as one of my favorite, you know, favorite kind of Batman villains, but my least favorite villain in every Batman video game out there because his, mm-hmm. his Riddler issue i mean the riddler clue things you have to solve are the most irritating thing on every game of all time so i thought the game i thought the movie was incredible and i thought paul dando was a great uh riddler yeah i mean 
they did a great job at with with the Riddler. Like physically, he's not going to be very intimidating. He's not right. your Bane, who's just an absolute tank who can actually like go toe to toe with Batman physically in a fist fight. He's not going to be that guy. He's going to be the mental guy who's just going to psychologically scare you. And I thought the way they did the movie of his outfit and the whole social media thing toward the end of like him, which is kind of scary, like the parallels to, to, to today mm-hmm. of like creating this cult online following. And then you have these thousands of guys, hundreds of guys, maybe, uh, you know, going to essentially Madison Square Garden and shooting up that that place. And I mean, it was sort of akin to the Joker where they had that uh, that following as well, mm-hmm. both in the, the Dark Knight trilogy as well as the one-off uh, movie with, uh, fuck, what's his name? Jared Leto? Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, Walking Phoenix. There's that one too. Where at the end, like they have that whole crowd of jokers and stuff and supporters. Like it gave me that type of vibe. So I was a big fan. Obviously, like he's not the most physically intimidating guy, but no. in, like even his his one scene at the at the counter in the cafeteria was great just his facial expression barely saying anything it was all acting with his face and Mm -hmm. it was creepy as hell uh i didn't love his performance in the prison personally um Mm. but uh i i think he's a solid solid cast Uh, i thought they did a good job with the movie overall so definitely can't complain there what so you rated nine two why'd you why not the what what was the difference between the hundred percent well, I mean, you can never rate it 100%. Um, True. But it's just not as good as The Dark Knight, for one. The Joker's the best villain performance of all time. Uh, at that point, I had some emotional attachment to Christian Bale as well as Batman, uh, which, is, you know. Is Robert Pattinson better Batman than Christian Bale? It's not. Uh, for me, I still have Christian Bale. Uh, as Batman or as, as Bruce Wayne? Because there's there's the difference between the two. Well, it's a completely different Bruce Wayne too. Like when you think right. about Christian Bale's Batman, it's more traditional with like he's picking up all these women, like going to these big parties out in public. Like Robert Pattinson's Batman is not. He's a uh, basically a fucking hermit living in a cave, and it's a weirdo who's like psychologically messed up, and also gets a really attractive girl, obviously in Catwoman, Zoe Kravitz. Incredible performance by her. That was a great cast as well. No complaints. I thought, I mean, Anne Hathaway, I thought was actually really good as Catwoman in The Dark Knight Rises, but I don't think the movie did her as much justice where they really built out the Selena Kyle character in this movie a lot more. And she did a great job. But for me, it's still Christian Bale. That being said, Robert Pattinson, just like it's a completely different Batman. Like, I don't even know if you can really compare the two other than saying like, all right, it depends on your version of Bruce Wayne that you like. I would say he brought more for me on Bruce Wayne side of things and Christian Bale brought more things for me on the Batman side of things. So I'm the opposite of you. I think Robert Pattinson was a better Batman and Christian Bale was a better Bruce Wayne. I think that that is very good. I think your comparison of how Bruce Wayne is to the comics, which is very much of how like Michael Keaton or uh, Christian Bale or even Ben Affleck were as, as Bruce Wayne. However, I think being the young version of Batman, this is perfect for what this is because it's year two into Batman's uh, into Bruce Wayne's journey as Batman. Uh, they talk; it's like in his journals that he's filling out in the first part of the movie. It's, so it's year two. Um, he's already fought the Joker apparently because Joker is in the, the mm-hmm. Arkham Asylum. Um, 
and there's hints that he's fought Bane because he's got the uh, adrenaline, the venom thing he puts in his leg that gets him going. Um, so I think he's had already the, the experiences of fighting these big guys. And so it's still on that, like, come up of like, okay, I'm this young guy. Who, I'm still getting in my groove of like being this, like almost not rookie, but like it's my second year in this, in this like kind of career. And I'm still kind of trying to figure out what I'm doing because you kind of see it with his setup. It's a very bare bones setup in the back cave. It's, it's still got high tech, but it's not as like souped up as you see in other Batman movies. It's, and I think that's what we're going to kind of see as this trilogy goes on. Uh, I think we're going to see um, just the tech get better, him kind of get bigger. Um, and I think we kind of see the tougher villains or just even different. I mean, the villains definitely challenge him more as we get into it. Um, when I think about, you know, I think about the past movies, I think the Alfred Michael Caine will be so tough to like compare yep. to. And Andy Serkis was in it for like maybe 15 minutes. And like, I really couldn't compare him to Michael Caine and the 15 minutes he was. And I was like, what are we doing? Like, yeah. I mean, I, I, I liked him as, as Alfred uh, personally, I thought, I thought he did a good job. Uh, yeah. I mean, he wasn't in it much. It's the thing. Like they didn't really expand his role very much, but I thought, I thought he was good, solid. I mean, he's a great actor. He's done so many different things, <laughs> like played Gollum. He's played right. a villain in uh, Black Panther in the Marvel series. He uh, was the, in the Rise of the Planet of the Apes movies, he was the main ape. He's also been like uh, 30, 13 going on 30, like oh. a variety of different roles. Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't know. I think he's going to be a good Alfred personally. I agree yeah. that Michael Caine's going to be tough to beat. Um, another actor I liked was the guy who played Jim Gordon, Jeffrey Wright, my guy. Yep. Big James Bond, uh, character as well. The USCIA guy, uh, also in hunger games, a variety of different things. West love World. that actor. Absolutely love that actor. So I thought he did a great job. Also cool to see a black Gordon as well. Mm-hmm. I'm into that, uh, and a black cat woman. So it's very much 2022 and I'm all about that. So it was it was fun to see a different type of Batman movie as well, which uh, definitely earned at least one or two points in my book. Also, love that we couldn't tell Colin Farrell was Colin Farrell as, as Penguin. It was ridiculous. The they I read some article about how much how much time it took to put that face makeup on, and it was ridiculous. And I I could see it a little bit more the second time I saw it, but I mean, even still, it's ridiculous. Like people would say they couldn't notice, they didn't know it was him whenever he came on set the first time. No, I mean, I just had the cast up right now and I didn't see his name before. And I'm like, what that guy like yeah. uh, the guy who's faking to be Grindelwald uh, before he turns into uh, what's his name? Uh, whatever his actor is from Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates of the Caribbean, you mean Harry Potter? No, the the act, main actor in Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, dude. Johnny Depp. Sorry. Yeah. I before he turns into Johnny Depp, that's the actor who plays Grindelwald. Right. As the. As the ministry of magic dude uh it's just like crazy to think that's the same person so they did a great job on makeup i'm interested to hear your thoughts on penguin because he wasn't very intimidating for me and they're setting and they're setting him up to be kind of like at least a villain in the next one probably not the main villain but at least a villain and i'm trying to remember i would have to go back and watch the old one with danny devito brutal it just uh, Danny DeVito was creepy just because it's, it's like he's kind of cringy to look at and just gross. <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to think of like what exactly makes Penguin Penguin. Like it's his money. It's so here's okay. the here's what I'll tell you now. 
it's there. It's not going to be a movie. They're making a TV show with him. They're like making yeah. a, a spinoff TV show about Penguin. They're making three. They're making one about Penguin, uh, Arkham Asylum, and then the GCPD. Um, and so uh, I'm excited because so Penguin comes to power in the comics kind of like this. It's like there's a few different iterations of it. Some of them have him, uh, uh, Oswald Cobblepot, as like Bruce Wayne's like kind of friend growing up. Then there's also the ones where he's old, much older than Bruce Wayne. And so this is kind of one they went with. And I like this version a lot better because he's this guy who's been in the un- criminal underworld business for a while. And he finally comes to power. If you ever watched Gotham, uh, that TV show, it's kind of the same way, just in a different kind of crime families that he comes up through. Um, the Falcone and the uh, side of it all. I love John Turturro like so much. Like he's the guy you see in a, uh, He's the one from Transformers who is just a comedic relief whenever you needed him to be in the Transformers movies. Uh, he played Falcone in this. And it was weird because I don't think I've ever seen him in a serious movie. And this, he had to be like in a really serious role for this. Um, he played a great Falcone, I thought, uh, very well. But when it comes to Penguin, the difference for Penguin is he has the money. He just has the experience in the criminal underworld. And that's kind of his thing. He has this ability to get his hands on big um basically big guns and basically anything to kind of destroy uh batman because he's not known and he has the iceberg lounge which has like killer shark in it and it has like different things but it's it's very much of like okay i'm just the guy whose rules the criminal underworld yeah i yeah i mean i thought falcone was great as well um i was trying to remember they mentioned the other main mob guy who's more at large in the dark knight series Maroni, and he's like put behind bars right now essentially right and yeah. in the in the the batman movie universe at that <laughs> period in time and falcone sort of takes up the mantle for him and they were talking about how it's like the inside baseball sort of situation where falcone's guys in the police department and in the city government like basically made that happen so they mm-hmm. could come to power and at the same time, the city government could save face and look like they were doing stuff when they really weren't doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I thought he had a great performance. I was confused on exactly who he was because I didn't remember his character oh. in the Dark Knight series. Uh, but it makes sense now. One thing I noticed is they didn't have a Lucius Fox. So some Mar- so here's the deal. So when it was in the Dark Knight series, he was a lot more prominent than he ever was like, in the comics. And that's like kind of different because you go back to like the old michael keaton batman movies and all those you don't need lucius fox yeah and so like there's different universes there's different like batman universes and so in this one maybe he's a little less known and maybe we'll get one in the next one or he just isn't there and that's totally fine and so we it's very diff it's yeah it's very different so far than like the dark knight because one so we talk about the difference in batman's Christian Bale was much more physically imposing while Robert Pattinson was much more of a detective. And you still had the Christian Bale like detectiveness to him, like the Batman detectiveness to him, but it was a lot more, I'm just going to be more of a brute than I am going to think more intellectually and like be smart with what I'm doing. Yeah. I I miss the Lucius Fox character personally. Maybe they'll bring that in later. I mean, that's something where like you have Morgan Freeman. All right. You're going to make him a main character. Right. That's a difference in that. You got to use Morgan Freeman. Um, I, I did notice that though. And that's one thing I missed. It seemed like Batman himself was sort of creating the tech, which we know he's like skilled in that. Like we saw Christian Bale doing that in the past. 
to some extent, like modifying things and mm-hmm. toying with things, trial and error. But Lucius Fox was the guy doing that. So that was interesting. One other thing I wanted to know is the best scene in the movie. Overall, they did really good on action scenes, I thought. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing that I was concerned about with Pattinson. The action scene of him coming off the elevator Mm-hmm. And the essentially their only light being the sparks of the, the, yes. the guns going on. It reminded me very much of like the Star Wars scene in Rogue One where yes. Darth Vader's coming down and it's like the most athletic dark Darth Vader you ever see. And it's sparks of lightsabers and sparks of gunfire and all that stuff. Like that was an incredible scene. I was I had chills the entire scene. Uh so like hats off to that. Like that was one of the best scenes in Batman film history for me. Like, and I don't have an emotional connection at this point to this series. So that was straight up. Awesome. Shout out to the director and everybody else who made that possible. That was, no, it was incredible. The, the cinematography for it all. Cause I mean, the whole downstairs under the bar, like under the, the mm-hmm. bar, under the bar, like thing was very was well cool. shot. And I also just, I love that elevator for some reason, that elevator, that like lobby little, the lobby of the elevator, just that shot of him coming out when he's not even Batman. And you go in, he's going to see Falcone for the first time. He's all undressed and he's just Bruce Wayne. Um, it That shot of him just looking straight ahead at him is so good. There's a lot of straight on shots and those mm-hmm. were just so well done. I felt like, um, so I'm excited for the next one. I'm excited to kind of see who the next villain could be. Uh, I talked to you about it. There's a lot of different varieties you could be because Gil Coulson's dead, so there's a new DA that could be. So that gives room for Harvey Dent. We met the Joker. Yep. Yeah, in which is yeah, Two Face, and then we yep. met the Joker in Arkham Asylum. There's Hush, who is the son of the reporter who Bruce Wayne or who Thomas Wayne had killed. So it's like ah. he could be. So there, that's that makes sense based on how much they let they leaned on that storyline. Right, uh, and we've never seen Falcone him in a movie. coming back. Yeah, we never seen him in a movie. Um. We don't have like a, a way for it to happen, but give me Vin Diesel as uh, Dr. Freeze or Mr. Freeze. Mm-hmm. I'd be a happy man because it'd be better than Arnold. Yeah, Arnold was tough. That uh, was tough. I, I'm yeah. trying to think of other ones it could be. I mean, I think Penguin is going to be an underlying like character. He, he can't be your be main villain. No, yeah. no. And I totally agree with that, but neither can Hush. Hush could not be your main villain either. He'd have to be a secondary guy. Um, see i feel like hush could be like the movie could be penguin starts off as the main villain and you think it's going to be like that and then hush is sort of working behind the scenes because you have that connection to falcone and maybe he somehow gets in bed with penguin and he's actually the big fish behind the scenes so you have those two guys sort of split the role mm -hmm. and the storyline stays somewhat consistent because it's tough to see him like pairing with another traditional villain very very well. well i mean maybe it's like harvey dent if he starts to understand things from a D- da perspective like looking into paperwork and talking to people and all that sort of investigative shit and he finds out who hush is i mean i wasn't i didn't know that dude existed as a character so uh <laughs> shout out to you reading the comics um that was but, like the only that that tv show was like the only thing i like one of the only tv sh- uh tv shows that wasn't on disney or nick that i watched so that was that was my childhood if it does end up being the Joker, which I guess that's hinted to yeah. in Arkham Asylum, right? I really don't want it to be that actor. I've... It is going to be Barry Coat. It's going to be Barry. And, <sighs> and, and not... you, 
Everyone was worried about Heath Ledger being Joker. That's my that's my take on it too. So uh I didn't love what I saw from him in Eternals, man. He was my least favorite character in that whole group. Jeez. Um so annoying. Uh but I, I would love to see Joaquin Phoenix somehow get weaved into it. It's not gonna happen now. But Dude, I there's think like that four was... different jokers we have going on right now. We have the Jared Leto, we have if we want to count animated, we have Mark Hamill as animated Joker, and then we have the Walking Phoenix and uh Barry. Co- I, I don't want to mispronounce his name, so I'm just gonna keep saying Keoghan. Barry. Yeah, yeah Keoghan, something like that. But uh yeah, those are like there's like four different jokers we have going on right now, and it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think based on how well the Joker movie performed with Joaquin Phoenix, I feel like that's a missed opportunity. I mean, maybe the timelines don't match up and all that sort of stuff, but like the Joker movie was the creation of him. So like in reality, you don't really like, obviously yeah. he's already existing in that in the Batman universe because he's behind bars. So I feel like they could have made that work. And I don't know. I think it would have, I think it would have made sense too for, Batman, like he would have complimented Robert Pattinson's like psychological acting and like he's not a physically daunting guy, like those types of characteristics. I think it would have been interesting, but I, 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 so I agree with you on this like psychological thing. The issue is that the timelines are so effing weird and different because like when Joaquin Phoenix meets Bruce Wayne in the Joker, I mean, Bruce Wayne is like five so yeah. it's like or like maybe 10 but it's like it's a much younger version of bruce wayne and so i don't know it would be kind of tough because and also like this is like that was like the first time we ever learned like a joker backstory and that backstory was completely different than anything we've ever learned uh it's not him falling into a bucket of acid it's not him with uh, just a effed up like well, I mean, I guess he had an effed up childhood, so I guess, but still, it's just a much different effed up childhood. Um, but it's it's a lot different than any like kind of Joker sequence we've seen. So it'd be interesting. I'd be it'd be it'd be weird to me just trying to combine those two universes, but to each their own. That's fair. But overall, we really enjoyed it. Uh, eight point seven, nine point two. Overall, it's your second favorite Batman. Yeah, and it's my it's my second favorite Batman, and it's my second favorite Batman villain. So I, I, I can't. Bane was good. Tom Hardy as Bane was really good. Yeah, uh, I just loved Paul Dano as Riddler, and by love I mean I hated him with a bun, bunch of guts. But I thought Bane was scarier, but um, I thought they did a good job on Riddler. So yeah, absolutely, I, yeah, well, I agree. So with we that. had the, we had the Batman review. We had someone text us during this week some dingus named Colin Ekafee texted us to do a serial review. And so Aaron Carter is going to give us his serial review of the week. Uh, Aaron, take it away. Colin Ekafee, my man, my roommate for four years. He and I love peanut butter almost as, as much as anybody I know. Uh, so not surprised. He asked me to do this review on the podcast. Uh, thanks for listening, buddy. Uh, hope to hear from you soon. The serial was good. Not great. Um, I was I had higher hopes than I think where it landed for me. It wasn't as flavorful I was hoping for, but as peanut butter cereals go, it's top two for me with Reese's traditional. Um, good old Reese's puffs, love it. But it's it's probably around uh seven for me, seven out of ten. 
Um, if I'm going with the sugary cereal, it doesn't blow you away with the sugar potential, which is a positive and a negative for me. Uh, I don't eat cereal often, so if I'm going to eat it, I'll splurge. Uh, but uh, very solid, worth a purchase. I think you would like it, but don't expect it to be like the best thing you've ever tasted. So don't know if anybody else out there has tried this cereal and has an opinion. Mitch, I know, sticks with his Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Uh, Either that or Frosted Flakes. Or Frosted Flakes, very religiously. And now with uh, almond milk or oat milk. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm a fan. Anyways, I will definitely finish the family size box my mom got for me with pleasure. But uh, it's not the best cereal I've ever had in my life. So let's just put it that way. What is the best cereal? That's a good question. Um, I feel like you're also a religious like lover of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I also love Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I love life. I'm a big life guy. Um, you're a psychopath. <laughs> I mean, what a thing to say you love. Whatever. Dude, it is one of those things where it's so subtle and so good. Like the vanilla hint to it or something. Like, oh, it's... What is wrong with you? That, uh, I was a big Kashi guy in college. No idea what that is. Uh, it's basically like the chunkier, like granola type of cereal. Oh, okay. That's Healthy. why I have no idea what it is. It's, uh, high in protein. Big fan of it. Uh, but... That's very good. I used to eat that like straight up dry, which I don't eat dry cereal typically, but that's essentially granola. So I was just snacking on that. I would heist uh, use. We'd buy some Colin and I would both buy reusable baggies and just go underneath the cereal dispenser and just load up on cereal. And that was great. Uh, Just stealing from the dining halls left and right. Love that for Uh, you. But yeah, that's. Those are my tops. I'm trying to remember other ones. I used to love like a cookie crunch when I was a kid. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Frosted Flakes is definitely up there. Yeah, I think not, it's cinnamon... not Frosted Flakes, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Not a big Frosted Flakes guy, actually. Oh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch and Frosted Flakes are like the top two. And then it's quickly followed by Captain Crunch Berries. Like, God, I no thanks. Miss me with uh, Captain Crunch. Miss oh. me with Fruit Loops. Hate Fruit Loops. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. You like all things good. <laughs> and Fruity Pebbles are way worse. Oh, no. Fruity Pebbles. That's fine. We can hate on Fruity Pebbles all day, every day. Um, I was, I also was that kid who loved Honey Nut Cheerios. I like Honey Nut Cheerios. I'm not going to eat normal Cheerios. So I, if I have normal Cheerios, it's going to be with bananas cut up in it or strawberries cut up in it. You need something with it. Yep. Yes. 100%. Either way, it's too dry and you're just not wasting. You're just and wasting your time. Zero flavor. <laughs> no, God, no. What are we doing out here? Basically um, eating wet bread. It's brutal. Wet stale bread because it's like still got that crunch to it. Mm-hmm. So I don't like that we're talking about Cheerios anymore. Okay. So thank you for listening to this episode, guys. We appreciate it. Uh, go ahead and follow us on Twitter at Hooper's Almanac. And also, I guess if you're listening to us, it's got to be on Spotify. Uh, so hit that bell up in the corner so that way you are notified when a new episode does come out. Uh, We appreciate you guys listening. Uh, Thank you so much. And also, Boston Celtics, please do not break my heart again later this week when we play the Warriors. Okay, thanks, guys. Have a good one.